This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Your Radio Doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, products, physicians, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on Your Radio Doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Always live on the free Odyssey app. It's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Saturday afternoon at 5. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen, seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good evening and welcome to your radio doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Constipation, the most common digestive complaint in the general population, can have substantial effects on a patient's quality of life and is associated with remarkable economic costs. The word constipation can mean different issues for different people. Maybe evacuating infrequently, the need to strain, or a person may feel like he or she hasn't emptied completely. We'll learn how constipation is defined by national guidelines, the impact it can have on patients' lives, and the most current approaches to management. Here to discuss this very important topic is Dr. Eamon Quigley, a world-renowned gastroenterologist. He's a professor of medicine at Weill Cornell Medical College. He's the chair of medicine and digestive diseases in the Department of Medicine and the chief of the division of GI and hepatology at Houston Methodist Hospital in Houston. He's the past president of our American College of Gastroenterology and the past president of World Gastroenterology Organization with over 800 publications. He's also a former chief of GI at University of Nebraska, a former dean of the medical school in Cork, Ireland, and has been recognized with countless international awards and honors. A very special welcome, Eamon. It's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you very much. It's my great pleasure and honor to be with you, and we're looking forward to this. Thank you. So, Eamon, before we define the concept of constipation, could we please start by dispelling the thinking that every person has to have a bowel movement every day? Absolutely. This is a Victorian hangover that we've dealt with for, what now, 200 years? Um, and, you know, as you know, the Victorians uh, had an obsession with bowel movements and vile humors. And in fact, a very famous surgeon um, created his career based on taking colons out of people who had symptoms which had nothing to do with um, constipation. But there was this concept that if you allowed things to settle in the colon, all sorts of vapors and uh, emanate from the colon and cause toxicity. 
And this gentleman who actually went on to become president of the Royal College of Surgeons made his reputation on this, but unfortunately, he frittered it all away by getting involved in patent medicines and was actually lost his medical license. So anyway, it all came to a good end, <laughs> you could say. So. Well, uh, yeah. That, As I listen to you to bring up the history, I think this is a good city for us to be talking about this topic because I don't know why you can tell us, was it uh, the Victorians who used the word constitution, your daily constitution, and we have, we are the city of the, the Constitution. Exactly. <laughs> so to move on to talk about um, the, the question, to, get, to eventually address your question, the, there is no justification for an insistence on a bond movement every day. In fact, in the US, uh, for example, it is estimated that the, the normal bond movement is anything at or more than three bond movements per week. Anything above that is, is just fine. And of course, how many bowel movements you have will vary tremendously depending on your diet. And a very good example of that, for example, is India. So in India, where you have a large population of vegetarians who eat a lot of fiber in their diet, a normal bowel movement in India may be three or four bowel movements a day. And this has to be taken into account when we go and make these global definitions of bowel function or constipation or diarrhea, you have to take this into account. But there is no need to have a bowel movement every day. A lot of people feel better if they do, and that's fine, but it's not, it's not absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. Now, you're part of the national working group that provides the standardized definition for the rest of us practicing gastroenterology and primary care docs. Can you explain to our listeners what that means? So the in terms of the definition of constipation, there has been a seismic shift. When I first started in gastroenterology, not yesterday or the day before, but a few years ago, um, constipation was defined purely on the basis of how common you had a bowel movement. So if you had less than three bowel movements per week, you were constipated. If you had more, you were not. But we soon began to realize that, in fact, that completely failed to encompass what the, the sufferer or the patient really experienced. They weren't so worried about how frequently they went, they were worried about how they went. So it was their ability to have a normal bowel movement that was really the problem for them. And as you mentioned in your excellent introduction, for some of them that meant it was straining, for some of them meant they, were, they had very hard stools which were difficult to pass, for some of them it felt like they never had a complete bowel movement, they never felt completely evacuated. And what that's meant is that in, say, in the Rome definitions, which are these criteria that we all use and that I have been involved in, um, which are updated every few years, uh, if you look at the Rome criteria for, for constipation now, the main criteria are based on difficulty with bowel movement. In fact, how often you go is almost a subsidiary component of it. And I think that's an incredibly important development because most of the patients that I see with constipation, actually, a lot of them do have a bowel movement every day. But that's not the problem. The problem is that they have great difficulty going, it's painful, it's difficult, it's incomplete, it's, they're not satisfied, and that can be very distressing for them. So we've moved away from how, how frequently to is it difficult, and this term has evolved, and is now actually used by the FDA when we do studies in constipation, this concept of the complete spontaneous bowel movement. 
In other words, that you have a bond movement without taking anything. And when you do go, you feel complete, you feel satisfactory bond movement. That's a very, a, a relatively new concept, but that is now the fundamental concept which is used in all clinical trials and constipation. And I misspoke earlier because I said national working group, but it's actually the international, it's an international working group that forms these Rome criteria. Uh, meeting, the initial meeting take place in Rome, Italy? Yes, the, the, it goes back quite a while. It goes back well, maybe 30 years ago or so when a small group of individuals chaired by a very famous Italian gastroenterologist who unfortunately is no longer with us, um, got together to try and come up with clinical criteria, which could be useful in clinical trials, actually, that was the original idea, of these gastrointestinal problems, which are defined purely on the basis of symptoms. So if you take constipation, irritable bowel syndrome, dyspepsia, there's no biopsy is going to diagnose this. No. There's no scan or x-ray is going to diagnose these things. So we have to go according to clinical criteria. And over the years, these criteria have been refined, they've been changed, uh, and they have proven very useful in the development of new treatments for these conditions, which affect so many people, yet do not have the classic diagnostic features in terms of pathology, <clears throat> blood tests, or radiology that so many other conditions do have. And I don't know that we need to go through these criteria, the Rome criteria, but uh, for our listeners to have an idea, we describe, we'll offer a patient maybe a little chart to look at and say, where does your picture uh, fit in here? Is it because you have little pieces of solid when you empty, or is it because you have that sensation of incomplete evacuation there? It's, it's really helpful for the patient because they might not think to uh, offer all the description, and it really helps us because then we have to say, gee whiz, what is causing this? Is it something like, uh, I always tell my women patients, I always start with every month with your cycle, estrogen and progesterone go up, and just like pregnancy, progesterone, I always tell my patients to make them feel a little better. Progesterone is public enemy number one. That's what slows. So if our GI tract is I-95, when you bite a piece of bread or sip of juice, you want all the traffic to flow from north to south. You don't want reflux, which is backup. You don't want any traffic jams, which is constipation. And with that, progesterone slows the traffic from the speed limit of wherever you live, 55 or 60, down to 35. And so if pre-period women feel bloated, it's not just the enlarged uterus. When you say it's the colon slowing down a little, trapping air and solid, then when, uh, you know, the flip side, after the period comes, everything empties out, uterus, bowel, and women yeah. are more likely, maybe not diarrhea, but they empty more easily. And when they hear that, they say, gosh, I never thought of, I never looked at that pattern. And the, I guess the key I'm trying to key point is when you and I are asked to evaluate a patient, the one thing we always say is, well, for how long have you been, quote unquote, constipated? You and I look for a change in pattern that is sustained. And I think that's an important point to make, too, because somebody might say, gosh, I have had a pattern of maybe two trips to the bathroom a week and now I'm going every day. That's not necessarily a good thing right? A change that sustains, you should tell your doctor as well. Yeah, a change a change in bowel habit is a fundamental concept that we teach our students and residents and fellows that that's, that's very important. 
Uh, but you're absolutely correct. The 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 how long these symptoms have been present is also important because you have somebody who's been perfectly fine for years and suddenly becomes constipated. That sets off all sorts of alarm bells. But somebody who's had constipation for 15 years, it's unlikely there's anything sinister uh, at the back of that. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some of the causes, Eamon. We have a few minutes in this segment because uh, it's a, an interesting list and we might come up with things that are not pathologic, but explain like pregnancy, we said, could slow your right. your motility or you know the monthly cycle for women. And I guess that's why women complain about constipation more often than men, you think? Yes. In, like if you look at the, I was involved in a, in a, a multinational survey recently with the Rome Foundation, uh, which is the, to date the most complete survey of these symptoms around the world. And constipation is more common in women than men. It's also more common as you get older. And that's a very important thing to remember um, because there may be other factors coming into play when you get older that's, that are going to aggravate uh, constipation. So that's, that's very important to bear in mind. So when you go down the list with a patient, how do you focus? Obviously, we always teach our students, it's usually right there in the history that when the person says, um, now I'm waking up during the night to have a bowel movement or whatever. We look for time and presentation, their medications. Let's talk about some of the causes that we look for. Yeah, so you've, you've actually mentioned some of the important ones. So let's take, address the common ones. So the, the most common impacts, and here now I'm talking about chronic constipation, not the individual who suddenly changes their diet or travels abroad, etc. That's occasional constipation. Let's take the patient with chronic constipation. For most of these patients, we don't find. There is no underlying cause, if you like. But part of the things that medications are very important ones. So if you're on some of the blood pressure medications, for example, uh, some of the medications that people take for congestion, etc., they can take, they have side effects which can lead to constipation. So that, that's an important one to bear in mind. There are, you know, the, for example, if your thyroid is underactive, that may lead to constipation. That's not a very common cause, but it, it certainly is a cause uh, of, of constipation. And then there are, you know, a whole host of dis- diseases of the neurological system uh, which can cause constipation. And why that occurs actually makes a lot of sense if you remember that the wiring in the gut is the same as the wiring in the brain. So you've got nerves and nerve receptors and neurotransmitters and all the rest of the apparatus that you have in the brain is in the guts. And that's why, for example, in Parkinson's disease, multiple sclerosis, the list goes on. Uh, All of these conditions are commonly uh, complicated by constipation. And Parkinson's disease is a very interesting one because there is now very convincing evidence that constipation may be the first symptom of Parkinson's. Yes. And that may occur 10, 15 years before any of the other features develop. And there's even, people have even gone on to say that Parkinson's disease actually starts in the gut. Now, that's another theory that we don't have time to go into today, but it's a very provocative one. Um, but it illustrates how the interaction between the brain and the gut uh, can be so important and can lead to the development of GI symptoms as a major feature of some of these neurological diseases. Hence the expression, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Yes. (laughs) Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Eamon Quigley from Houston Methodist. 
Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. At Independence Blue Cross, we believe in giving you the tools you need to pursue your healthiest life. From premiums as low as $0 per month to health discounts and cash rewards, it pays to have coverage with Independence. With the strongest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free 24-7 virtual doctor visits, you can feel confident that quality care is always within reach. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. When Recovery Centers of America at Devon opened its campuses on the main line and in South Jersey, they offered a new approach, local addiction treatment led by an expert caring team of professionals. RCA has since helped thousands and leads the way in innovative programs and exceptional inpatient and outpatient care, all in a beautiful setting that allows for healing and recovery. RCA answers the phone and admits patients 24-7, 365, including the holidays. All admitted patients and staff are routinely tested for COVID-19. Call now at 1-888-RECOVERY. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones. Like, how can the healthcare industry earn the trust of patients? And what if your health outcomes and access to care weren't defined by your skin color, sexuality, gender, or zip code? At Genentech, we're removing barriers and partnering across the medical community to make clinical research as diverse as the world we serve to ensure communities have access to healthcare. Learn how we are working to make healthcare more equitable at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Welcome back to your radio doctor. We're learning so much about constipation from our world-renowned expert, Dr. Eamon Quigley. Eamon, we were talking about the, the laundry list of possibilities, but as you say, most of the time we apply the word idiopathic. We don't know a specific black and white reason for constipation, but you talked about neurologic causes like Parkinson's that just fascinates me. And we talked a few weeks ago, we did a show on Parkinson's and learned that uh, there's been a big jump, almost double the world number of cases, which it's thought is resulting from uh, pollution. And so perhaps I would love to have you back someday to talk about the microbiome and the effect of that on the rest of our uh, systems. But, um, you know, when we see a person for the first time uh, complaining about constipation, we're going to look to see if it's a manifest- manifestation of diabetes or, as you say, an underactive thyroid High level, higher than levels of calcium, and those medications that people think, well, it's over-the-counter, no side effects. If you're taking calcium tablets or if you're taking an iron supplement, it's going to slow your mo. It's going to slow your motor down. And uh, that's why I beg my patients and my students, train them, go through that list of medications, but also what is the person buying over-the-counter supplements and, and things they can take that they think are uh, innocent. And of course, we look for obstruction, but usually a person has other symptoms there. But it's interesting too, anorexia nervosa, or probably bulimia nervosa. If your GI tract is built to travel from north to south, and then you say, I'm going to eat a meal and then make myself get sick, you're confusing those nerve endings. And a lot of those people have problems with motility, yes? Yes. In fact, constipation is a very common feature there. And of course, there's another factor that may creep in there, which is laxative abuse, which may become a component of, of this, and and um, so which may be may be an important complicating factor. So I think that needs to be borne in mind also. But I, it is, in my experience, um, 
constipation can be a major problem there. Of course, with very little oral intake, and particularly with very little fiber intake, that may be a contributing factor. And I wonder if it jumped during COVID when we were isolated and we were spending more time sitting, Zooming, computer time. I'm sure that uh, that you may have seen a, a rise in, in cases then, but so much of it, we always say common things are common. We don't always have to look for the zebra when we hear hoofbeats. But um, how do you go about looking for a cause? How do you um, decide what testing to do? So I, the, I think the common approach, and this has been, I think, validated and supported by many guidelines, is that in the patient with constipation who has no, let me say, alarm features, and you mentioned one of the most important ones earlier, namely this has come on very recently, or there's been a very recent change in bowel habit, if there's no blood in the stool, no weight loss, etc. If those kind of red flags are not there, then I think the, the first line would be to treat the patient, to go over their medications, to go over their diet. In many cases, they're in, in the US, unfortunately, uh, fiber intake is very low. Uh, and that may, be, that may be the clue that you're looking for. So in the first instance, you would treat with simple measures. And this would be in whether this could be the patient themselves or the sufferer themselves, or this could be in primary care that you look at their diet, increase their fiber, use simple measures, um, like over-the-counter measures. And these over-the-counter laxatives are actually very effective. And if that doesn't work, then you begin to think about, do I need to look into this a little bit further? Mm-hmm. Now, the, your opening question was, you know, how do we approach it in terms of what's the underlying cause? And when we talk about constipation and we use the term idiopathic, which is a great cloak, if you like, uh, by doc- which doctors use to hide their ignorance. So when we say idiopathic, it means we really don't know. But if you take the people who don't have a underactive thyroid, who don't have Parkinson's, which is the vast majority, then there are two basic phenomena going on there. One is that the colon has become sluggish. That's one group. We call that colonic, colonic inertia or slow transit constipation. The second then are the people who the colon is working okay and it can get the stool all the way down to the rectum, but we can't get it out. And there are a whole variety of names for that, like uh, dysynergia, etc. But the basic problem here is actually quite a complicated one because um, your, your uh, audience may not know this, but to, act, to actually have an effective bowel movement is an incredibly complicated and highly coordinated action involving muscles all the way from the diaphragm right down to the rectum. And if they're not completely in sync, then you will not have an effective bowel movement. In fact, you may actually be obstructing your attempt at a bowel movement, which is very distressing. And that's a whole other category of conditions, which are actually very common. And they're treat, to treat them effectively, you need more than laxatives, you need more than prescription medications. You actually may need to involve physical therapists we're highly skilled in re-coordinating those muscles and getting them back together again through a process which is referred to as biofeedback. And I'm sure, too, if people really think about it, that's why you need to sit with your your legs flexed because your pelvic muscles have to relax in order for you to empty properly and completely. And if somebody's bedridden or if somebody um, can't use their, their core muscles to bench press and, and empty, 
you can see how that would uh, cause problems. Yeah, there's very interesting research recently from the Mayo Clinic how actually lack of coordination of the abdominal muscles is important because, you know, when you get all these muscles in the pelvic floor and the rectum get all these completely in line, what generates the, the, the force, the pressure to get the stool out actually is contraction of the diaphragm and contraction of the abdominal muscles. And it's been shown very nicely uh, that in some people, the problem is maybe in the abdominal wall muscles. That's a new idea, but I think one that we should be pursuing. So this is a complicated area. People think constipation is nonsense. You know, it's nothing. It's just go away and take a laxative. And what I think what I'd like to get across today more than anything else is that this is not a simple issue. And secondly, for some individuals, this can be an extremely distressing and life-altering problem. Mm -hmm. And we're going to spend the next segment talking about sort of the layering of how we approach treatment. But that was the other point that we talked about the other day, you and I, that the quality of life that people come to you because it impacts their not only their uh, living situation at home, but at work or traveling or commuting, all those things are so much harder if they're uncomfortable or not sure if they're taking laxatives when the reaction is going to happen. And it has to be very limiting. And uh, I always tell if a person is going to have, say, uh, a procedure like uh, orthopedic and they're going to be on pain meds for a couple of days, start taking stool softeners before you get the pain meds so that we've already started encouraging your GI tract to stay up to snuff. But let's talk a little bit about quality of life and, and really the potential complications of constipation there. There are two different things, I guess. Yes. So quality of life is, is a, an extremely important factor here. And one, I have to confess, that we didn't include when we studied these problems in the past. But now it's, it's a fundamental component of all of these research studies in this area. Because if you're not improving the patient's quality of life, you're really not making a big impact. And what do you mean by quality of life? There are several domains to that. Is But basically, at the end of the day, it's, you know, what is the quality of your daily life? Can you go about your work, your, your studies, your personal relationships? Are they being impaired? And what has been shown is that in constipation and other similar disorders like the irritable bowel syndrome, for people who are severely affected, the impact and quality of life can be as severe as, say, a heart condition. Mm-hmm. Now, people find that impossible to believe, but it's actually true. And it has been shown over and over again. Uh, and, you know, there's one phrase that you hear a lot from people who are severely affected by constipation. And it's the one that you were summarizing, and that's control. They feel they've lost control. Uh, they can't go out because they don't know, will they need to have, have a bowel movement? Will they be? Will they get so bloated and distended when they eat that they'll make it uncomfortable for everybody else? If they take a laxative, when is it going to act? Is it, are they going to have an accident? These They feel they've lost complete control over what, at the end of the day, is a basic bodily function. They can't get do do it effectively, they can't predict what's going to happen, and they can't get a satisfactory bowel movement. And we talk about the potential complications. Rarely do we see, and we see so many GI patients, do we see what's called a megacolon. I try to remind my, my patients and, and our listeners that the colon is a muscular tunnel, and it expands if you have waste sitting there or there's a couple of days pass and contracts. Um, and so it has the capacity to, let's say you've eaten a lot of really big meals, it has the capacity to grow and stretch out 
Um, do you think that, say, people who avoid using public bathrooms by ignoring the, the call <laughs> to go to the potty and say, mm -hmm. I'm going to wait till I get home and they have to work for another hour and an hour commute by delaying, does that sort of bring on the problem sometimes, do you think? I think that's very rare. I think it's extremely rare. You referred to a condition called megacolon, which is a real condition, which you see usually in the context of something else. Uh, it can develop in patients with severe constipation, but there there's probably some additional underlying factor like dysfunction in the muscle of the colon wall, dysfunction in the nerves in the colon wall, or more commonly, we see it in relation to, say, we see it commonly people who've had major surgery, uh, for example, a hip replacement, where the bowel literally becomes paralyzed and we can get an acute megacolon. Or we can see it in the context of something like I've seen it with Parkinson's disease, I've seen multiple sclerosis, you can see that context as well. But in the person who's got chronic constipation progressing to megacolon can occur, but it's rare. Very fortunately. Rare. Yeah, yeah, fortunately. Because when that happens, how do you treat it? When that happens, you that may be one of the few indications for surgery in the patient with uh, chronic constipation. Mm -hmm. I'm not a great believer in surgery for treating constipation, but there are certain instances where it may be appropriate when you're completely at the end of the spectrum, everything else has failed and you've got a, a large colon which has the potential to perforate. Right. And with that, please stay with us until we come back to your radio doctor and Dr. Eamon Quigley. And now for your real champion, I call this segment 1% Better. The Ironman Triathlon, a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon of 26.2 miles. And to call it official, you have to complete all 140.6 miles within 17 hours. Finishing Ironman takes extreme discipline to train, endure all types of conditions, and requires intense mental toughness. Now add a condition like weak muscles, makes it much harder to face the challenge. Well, meet Chris Nickich. Now age 23, he recalls his former self at age 18, 40 pounds overweight, sitting on the couch playing video games. Chris has Down syndrome with decreased muscle tone, and like many people with special needs, he wanted more from life, but our society doesn't always make it easy. His dad, Nick, is a successful businessman who has always encouraged his staff to approach a project with the 1% better concept in mind. Make slow and steady progress by setting a goal of improving by 1% each day. This is something everyone can do in any area of life, so Chris and his dad, Nick, used that template to get Chris off the couch. He started a daily walk going farther each day. The walk became a run, and within months, in August of 2019, he completed a 13-mile sprint in one hour and 41 minutes. He finished last of all the Special Olympic athletes, but five months later, in January of 2020, he did an Olympic triathlon, which is 32 miles in four hours and 25 minutes. By May of that year, he did a half Ironman that's 70.3 miles in eight hours and 25 minutes. And by November of 2020, he made history as the first person with Down syndrome to complete Ironman, verified by Guinness World Records. 
So he started with a sprint and within 15 months, he completed all four grueling contests. Chris shares, my mission is to honor God by being the best me I can be so I can be an example to others. I want to change the perceptions and raise the expectations for others like me so we can all reach our God-given potential. We must change from thinking I can't to I can, but I have to work harder. Believe and achieve by getting 1% better. Chris wants to raise awareness for Down syndrome and he asks others to accept the 1% better challenge. For just 30 days, do what Chris has done for the past five years in his journey. Help someone with special needs to do the same. He outlines steps on his website. Buy a t-shirt for yourself and the person you sponsor. Set a 30-day goal you want to achieve. Then post your progress with your partners on social media to raise awareness. His message is that people with Down syndrome or other disabilities aren't the problem. It's the teaching system. Another great plan, Chris says, when you see yourself represented in a sport, you start to see the possibilities. So Chris and his foundation are asking that every 5K, 10K, half marathon, and full marathon hold bib number 321 to ensure neurodivergent people's representation in mainstream sports. Why 321? Because each cell in the human body has genetic material with 23 pairs of chromosomes. With Down syndrome, there are three copies of chromosome 21. So three copies of number 21. Three, two, one. When I asked Chris what inspired him to finish the first Ironman, he said he pictured his girlfriend at the finish line. Sure enough, she was there and he gave her a promise ring. Chris begins each day with brain work, studying English for an hour, memorizing speeches, reading the Bible, and writing personal notes. Then up to six hours in the gym with two to three of these activities, either 400 push-ups, 80 pull-ups, a 12-mile run, a 60-mile bike ride, or 3,000 yards of swimming. In 2023, he has already finished four marathons, London, Tokyo, Boston, New York, with Berlin and Chicago in the next few months, and cheerleaders around the world. Chris says, I'm a 23-year-old with Down syndrome and all the associated disabilities except one. I focus on my God-given abilities. Now that's what I call an Iron Man. We salute you, Chris Nickich, and your wonderful dad, Nick. You're well champions. Be part of 1% Better. Visit his website, chrisnickich.com. That's chris, N-I-K-I-C, dot com. chrisnickich.com. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, at your convenience. Just download the Odyssey app and search Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. Millions of Americans are losing their medical assistance or Medicaid coverage. If this affects you, Independence Blue Cross can help. You may be eligible to enroll in a health plan for as little as $0 a month. With Independence Blue Cross, you get the largest provider network in the area, including most Keystone First doctors and hospitals. We also offer free 24-7 telemedicine, coverage for hospital stays and prescriptions. See if you qualify for $0 health insurance and enroll today. Call Independence Blue Cross at 1-844-464-2583 or visit ibx.com slash stay covered. When we ask questions, we make sure they're the big ones, like when it comes to diseases. Can we strive to treat, prevent, and even reverse them? 
And how can we make healthcare more effective and more affordable? These are the types of questions that can help impact the lives of so many patients, that help push the boundaries of innovation and healthcare for all communities. At Genentech, we are the pioneers of the biotech industry, tackling some of the biggest questions in healthcare. Learn more at gene.com slash askbiggerquestions. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, now Saturday afternoons at 5, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. And welcome back to Your Radio Doctor. We're talking about constipation. Eamon, we've talked about some of the many causes You are a respected master in the management of constipation, and you see patients with very severe symptoms. Can you describe some of those scenarios for us? Yes. Well, there are two scenarios which I see which are very distressing for people. Just getting back to what I said earlier about these two broad categories of constipation. On the one hand, we have the individual who can't go at all. You know, they'll go a week, two weeks, three weeks without a bowel movement. And the only way they know they need to go is they get progressively more bloated and more distended. Extremely distressing. On the other side of the coin, and equally distressing, is the individual who gets the urge to go, maybe frequently, but just can't go. Or they need to strain, or they do go, and it's incomplete, and they have to go again and again. That's also constipation. That's equally distressing. And these individuals can become extremely distressed. Their quality of life can be severely impaired, and they need a lot of help. And managing these can take a long time. That's one of the things I often say to patients with these more severe aspects of constipation. You know, this didn't happen yesterday. This is something that's evolved over many years, so you can't expect it to resolve in a week or two weeks. It may take quite a long time for us to work through various uh, treatment pr- approaches before we can get to the bottom of this. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the steps in management because I think um, we hear fiber and I remember when I was a fellow, we talked about as much as 40 grams of fiber a day. And for people to imagine that an apple is four or five grams. So we're not going to ask people to eat 10 apples a day, <laughs> but even that might be too much in some people, but let's say 20 to 35 grams and people can titrate it to their comfort, but obviously uh, fruits and veggies. But I always remind patients that it's so important to start with nature, with a better diet, maybe stool softeners and bulk laxative or uh, uh, fiber supplements because laxatives just make your bowel more and more dependent, yes? Well, that's a very good point, and I'll, I'll get on to that, but I just want to, talk about, to, to add a few things about the fiber story, first of all. Fiber is very good for you for many reasons, uh, and unfortunately, in the Western diet, we've tended to drop our fiber intake a lot. I remember several years ago, we did a survey among older people in Nebraska, and the, the average in this particular group was only about 10 grams of fiber a day, which is virtually nothing. And you're absolutely correct. You should be aiming for around the 30 grams a day. But the key thing is to do it slowly. And the reason a lot of people fail with fiber is they go crazy and they go from zero to 40 in like five minutes. And then they get bloated and they feel full and they feel terrible and say, this fiber stuff is terrible. I'm never going to touch it again. And you've lost the whole whole, uh, approach right there. An alternative and one that I use a lot is to use a fiber supplement. I wish there are many. You can get them in powder form. You can get them in uh, capsule form. And they are very effective. And they, for some people, 
uh, they may be more tolerable because these what they call more soluble fibers which they contain are in general better tolerated than the insoluble ones like a Miller's brand which is sometimes more much left far less palatable it's, it's always far less palatable so that uh, that's a good place to start now the other thing that I hear a lot from patients is about water and they've it's they're obsessed with the idea of drinking gallons of water every day unless you're dehydrated there's really no evidence that drinking more water is going to make any difference if you think about it that makes sense because our bodies our gi tract is going to absorb all that water anyway uh, unless you completely drown it which would be a big mistake uh, so if you're dehydrated that certainly can cause constipation and that may be why people who fly or travel to some extent become constipated but Apart from that, if you have a normal fluid intake, you don't need to go crazy. You don't need to drown yourself. So that's, that's right. another myth that, that's commonly out there. And then you get on to oh. the next stage, and there's a lot available over the counter, from stool softeners, like you mentioned, uh, to uh, bulking agents, to osmotic laxatives, uh, to what we call stimulant laxatives, which are, I suppose, some of the classic laxatives, like Senna, the so-called anthroquinone derivatives. They're all effective. And in fact, the only reason we don't see them appearing in the guidelines, for example, is that they nobody's done many clinical trials of them because they're very old products. They've been around for a long time. And, you know, there's no industry that's interested in now spending millions in doing a clinical trial for something that's selling well anyway. Um, but you brought up a very important point that people mention all the time, namely that they'll become addicted to them. I personally don't believe that's an issue. I think it's much more important for somebody who's had constipation for many years to use whatever it takes to get regular rather than continuing to become more constipated and potentially with time being more and more difficult to treat. So I don't worry as much about the impact of, uh, of laxatives. There was literature from some years ago, from uh, say the 70s, 60s and 70s, which suggests that some laxatives, such as the anthroquinones, actually damage the nerves in the colon it's now clear that that was actually an error, that these were actually changes in the colon related to constipation, not related to the actual um, laxatives that, that were being used. So I don't worry about using those agents. I say if, you, if they work for you, that's fine. Uh, whatever combination works for you, that's great. If people hear nothing else today, that could be a lifesaver for some people because people do struggle to say, okay, um, and even for the longest time, um, and I don't say trade names, but psyllium and methyl cellulose and calcium polycarbophil, yeah. the trade names, I guess I can say them because I've invited them all to the show, you know, Metamucil, yeah. Citrocell, and Fibercon. Um, the way they work is that they absorb water and increase the fecal mass. And so right. it makes the, the whole act, action uh, easier. Easier. There you go. And, exactly. um, and yet some people are more comfortable with one than the other. But I wasn't convinced initially that the capsule could do the same magic as the powder that would mix with your food or sprinkle it in your cereal or something. But I'm getting good feedback from the capsule form. You keep saying, I keep thinking, how can that little capsule have enough power to do that? But it does. People really like the uh, capsules. Yes, and, and they find them easier to take They're, you know, yep. rather than getting the... Um the, the, the sachets and pour, putting them in, adding water, et cetera, et cetera, whatever works for you. Um, yes. You know, I, I certainly 
I shouldn't say grew up, but um, are more used to the the the, the sachet type ones. One advantage of sachet type ones is that you can adjust the dose a little bit more than you can with the with the with the uh, capsules. Uh, you can vary the dose tremendously. Mm-hmm. And and then another, you know, moving on from there, uh, a, a form of agent that we use like an awful lot are the ones, the so-called polyethylene glycol-based solutions, which are basically yes. a combination of polyethylene glycol and electrolytes. And there again, there are a whole load of, of proprietary products out there which contain this. Many of you will be familiar with these in much larger volumes when you have your colonoscopy. Uh, that's your colonoscopy prep. And basically... The, we're talking here about much smaller volumes of colonoscopy prep. They are very extremely safe. Um, the other great thing I like about those is, again, you can titrate the dose yourself. You can increase it until you get a result, and then when maybe you can back down a little bit. If you're getting too much of an effect, you can also back down the dose. So that mm-hmm. would be one of the things I would use. A stool softener, people have difficulty evacuating the stool, um, and then, you know, moving on to the more stimulant laxatives if you're still having difficulty. And then at that stage, mm-hmm. uh, we would move on to other approaches, which would be more in the prescription category, mm-hmm. where fortunately we've had a lot of research in recent mm-hmm. years and a lot of new developments. So to recap for our listeners, we like to start with passive therapy, <laughs> passive meaning non-meds like fiber and stool softeners have always been innocent because they just add fluid to your stool and make the trip a little bit easier, as you say. Uh, the bulk agents like Metamucil, Citrocell, Fibercond, they can be just enough. Um, and then polyethylene glycol, as you mentioned, I try to explain to my patients that your your GI tract has your the sliding board, the esophagus carries that food into the stomach is just a pouch that lives in the whole cave of the abdomen. And it goes through two parts of the bowel. The small bowel is our sponge. I always say S and S, S for small, S for sponge. And you absorb molecules of all the good stuff, fat, protein, and carbs. And then the waste goes into the large intestine or colon. And, and for our listeners, polyethylene glycol is a salty solution. And the salt molecules are so large they don't get absorbed in the sponge area of your bowel. And salt, water follows salt, so there's big molecules of salt tumble through small bowel and pull that tsunami of water through the colon and flush it out. Would you say that's a pretty good way to... So it's all passive. It's like swallowing a garden hose and you just flush out your colon. Everybody's happy. Whereas a stimulating laxative tells the nerve endings to turn the motor on and get the motion. So... Um, there are so many great ways now to help people empty passively. Let's spend a minute or two on these newer script meds, Eamon, because um, I have to say, initially when they first became available, I hesitated to use them, but we have had good success now, yes? Yeah, and there are a whole variety of these, um, and we could divide them into two broad categories. One are a group which stimulate the motility of the colon, and here we have uh, drugs like procalipride, and then that the other approach which I've been involved with, that's the vibrating capsule, which stimulates um, motility in the colon. And then the other group are those that stimulate secretion. Now, by secretion means it increases the flow of fluid and therefore of, of electrolytes into the bowel wall and therefore lubricates the stool and makes it easier to go. They're the so-called prosecreting agents. And that would include anaclotide, uh, tenapinar, um, lubriprostone, and placanotide. They're the 
four ones that are available here in the US. And, they, mm-hmm. you know, they are all effective. Um, you've got to be a little bit cautious that you don't over, go overboard with them because if you go too far, you can cause diarrhea and people don't like that. But they certainly are effective. The pro- promotility agents, on the other hand, will stimulate the colon and produce a more regular bowel movement. Um, and they can be used together mm-hmm. if, if one of them alone does not work adequately. But they are prescription agents. And um, they, mm-hmm. you're depending on who your insurance carrier is, they may approve one and not the other, which is one of the banes of our existence is, is struggling with insurance companies to get to find the right drug that they will, that they will actually cover having tried and failed with two or three others. Well, we have about a minute left in this segment, and I'll just touch on the fact that you said earlier that we rarely turn to surgery to remove that that area of the colon that we, seems to be resistant to motion. But I want to backtrack. When, if a patient is working with his or her primary care provider, when do they say, could I please see a GI doctor? I need, I need to move on to the next step. I think if they are... If they've tried, you know, the fiber, the laxatives, and maybe a prescription agent, and they're not getting there, then I think that's, and if they're, if it is really limited their quality of life, that's the stage they should think about seeing a gastroenterologist. Yeah, Yeah. because we might want to put the scope in, take a peek, even a limited, because uh, paradoxically, if the lining of your bowel is inflamed, you think it's going to weep, it's going to be diarrhea. The lining is just like inside our cheeks. When it's inflamed, it gets red and sore and, and, and weepy. But sometimes inflammation without fluid drainage um, causes spasm and constipation. So we as GI docs have to think of those paradoxes. Let's take a little break and we'll be back for our wrap up with Dr. Eamon Quigley. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Good afternoon. I'm Bridget Bow, Executive Director for Recovery Centers of America at Devon and one of your addiction experts from RCA. Today, I'm here to talk about starting fresh, developing new coping mechanisms in recovery. Quitting using drugs and alcohol is only one part of the addiction recovery. The other part involves developing healthy coping mechanisms for the intense emotions and difficulties you'll encounter. In the past, you may have turned to drugs and alcohol to deal with stress, trauma, and other life events. But in recovery, you'll need to develop new problem-solving skills that can help manage these issues without relying on addictive substances. Helping coping skills may have many benefits, including improved emotional regulation, increased resilience, improved relationships, better physical health, and relapse prevention. If you or one of your loved ones needs help with alcohol or drugs, reach out to Recovery Centers of America at 833-969-0268 or visit rcaradiodoctor.com. That's rcaradiodr.com. We answer the phone and admit patients 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm always striving to live my healthiest life, so I need a health plan that has my back. With Independence Blue Cross, I get access to the largest network of doctors and hospitals in the region and free virtual doctor visits 24-7. Plus, with premiums as low as $0 per month, I can stay on top of my health and keep my budget in check. Independence has given me coverage I can count on, and they'll do the same for you. Learn more about your coverage options at ibx.com. 
Now, your weekly prescription brought to you by Genentech, the science-driven company that pioneered the biotech industry to transform how we treat the world's most complex health problems. And welcome back to our final segment of Your Radio Doctor. So pleased to have Dr. Eamon Quigley here for the last segment called Your Weekly Prescription. Eamon, thank you. We've learned so much. What is your take-home message for our listeners? Well, my first take-home message is to thank you for devoting an entire show to a subject that people rarely talk about, constipation. I think you are very prescient in recognizing how important this condition is for people. So that would be my first message. Constipation is an important issue which deserves to be aired and which deserves to be researched and deserves the attention of everybody who looks after patients. That's my first message. The second message would be to adopt a more global approach to constipation and not just think in terms of how often you go, but focus on what happens when you try to go. And that's actually a message more for practitioners than for everybody else, because when we talk to patients, we must take the time to find out exactly what happens when they're trying to have a bowel movement, because that will give us a clue as to where we should be going in terms of evaluation and ultimately in terms of management. Like there's no point in pushing laxatives to somebody who can't get a, the stool out. That needs a different approach. The third point I would like to make is that, you know, while most patients we see with constipation don't have an underlying cause, there are some who do. And probably number one there would be medications. And I think we mentioned a lot of them. You mentioned another very important one, which were opiate pain medications, probably one of the most challenging uh, areas that we deal with because they have very powerful negative effects on motility in the gut. And we have some new approaches to, to treat that. The third uh, message I would say, or the fourth message I would say is uh, in terms of managing constipation, you should take a stepwise approach. Start simple, work up. And in fact, many of the so-called simple remedies are highly effective and may be very suitable for the individual patient. And the final message I would say then is that the good news is that in terms of research, there's a lot going on in this area at last. And there are new treatments, and I mentioned one of them which I was involved in, this vibrating capsule, which, you know, a few years ago would have been regarded as a crazy idea, the idea that you could stimulate the colon internally with a little mini capsule. And with that actually has now been shown to be effective and will be and is now an option for patients who have chronic constipation. So I think that's the good news to end on. Uh, I think we have made a lot of progress. We have a better understanding of constipation. I think doctors are taking it more seriously and hopefully they're listening to their patients and based on what they hear from their patients, they're evaluating them correctly and they're using the right treatments. I'd like to take a moment here to applaud my guest, Dr. Eamon Quigley. We use very Hollywood because as of 30 seconds ago, the cover of our Bible, Gastroenterology, our journal came out with what is the title uh, article on gastro on the vibrating capsule on the vibrating capsule we have a little bit of time Eamon could you explain that to people what it does well this is um, a really neat piece of technology like a lot of other capsule technologies which you'll be very familiar with it they originated in Israel uh, Israel has been always a pioneer in miniaturizing technologies we had the 
pill cam, the camera that we used to go down the gut. We had the smart pill, which we used to measure transit in the gut. And these all originated from Israeli technology. And this is the latest one, which is the, the vibrating capsule. And the idea here is that you swallow a little capsule. It actually is timed. It's, it's, you, you, before you swallow it, actually, you put it into a, a pod, which activates it. But what it does, it, it activates it not to start vibrating immediately, but after a few hours, by which time it's arrived in the colon. And then when it arrives in the colon, it turns on and it vibrates at a certain frequency for a certain period of time, not all the time. And that has all been worked out over the years based on the normal rhythms of our body and of the rate at which peristalsis occurs in the body. And then it stimulates the muscle in the colon wall and it promotes a bowel movement. Um, it's very different approach, um, very unique approach, but it seems to work and it offers a new alternative for our, for our patients. Well, it's a little bit different than, say, children and potty training and habit training in people that have neurologic dysfunctions yeah. like dementia. Or let's yeah. all, let's, you know, after eating, let's and try to train your GI tract into responding. But there's a world of uh, imagination to this. And I guess if we were all doing the same thing, then nobody would be thinking. So we're the the world is a better place because we have great thinkers like you, Eamon, and we appreciate your time and your wisdom and really flattered that you joined me today. Thank you. It's my great honor. It's been a great pleasure. It's been a lot of fun as well. Thank you for listening to your radio doctor every Saturday at 5 p.m. here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Listen to this show or any of our shows again on odyssey.com, that's A-U-D-A-C-Y, or listen to a real champion story on odyssey.com. A special thank you to my friend, Dr. Eamon Quigley, for sharing his brilliance today on the topic of constipation. Next week, a very serious conversation about end-of-life care, what it includes, and what questions you should ask your doctor about an elderly or chronically ill loved one and how to prepare. Friends, each week we share the story of your real champion, someone who faces adversity with grace and courage, who does great service in the community. These are people who embody inspiration and drive others to work harder, dream bigger, and be kinder. Send us the story of a champion from your world, your family, workplace, your community. Send an email to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Now cover yourself in sunscreen and go out and take a nice, long, healthy walk. This is your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, wishing you a happy, healthy, and safe week with the ones you love, and always here to remind you that your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. To contact Dr. Marianne and to listen to today's show as well as past shows, visit yourradiodoctor.com. This program is paid for by Your Radio Doctor, LLC. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Your Radio Doctor and their guests and do not reflect the opinions of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program has been pre recorded.